All right, church family, we're going to try to get started here tonight. I appreciate so much you coming out tonight. It's a great night as we kick off our Strengthen Your Marriage series tonight. We always feel the absence of our ICM students, don't we? You just do. Just to feel the absence of their presence here with us. And they're at a special Speed the Light rally, I believe it is, at Cersei Faith tonight. And, uh, you know, we, we, we miss them when we're in worship service. But I really felt as I was kind of contemplating, praying about before service tonight a little while. I texted Shane. I really think that we ought to have, you know, worship service even without our ICM students tonight. Because I was thinking for just a moment about this, about strengthening your marriage. You know, the, the exhortation for marriage began in the Genesis, didn't it, in the garden. And there were instructions that God gave to Adam and to Eve both related to their relationship with each other and the relationship with him. And I just wonder, just pause and think this way with me for just a moment. If the if Christ could be here in the flesh tonight, to just think, I know that's extreme, but if he was here and he said, you know, we're talking about the one that could bring dead things back to life again. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life, didn't he? Wasn't Lazarus dead for four days and he called him out of the grave? If he was here and he said, I want to strengthen your marriage, and he just spoke directly to you. Now, if you're single, obviously, there's still going to be an application of that in your heart and life as well. If he spoke that to you and he said, would you, would you prepare your heart for that? Would you just say, I'm going to receive this. Would you just kind of begin to shut everything out and say, Lord, I want to prepare my heart because, because God said he's going to do this great work in my heart. Well, I believe that the Lord wants to work in our heart and life and strengthen marriages. I do. And so I want to ask you to take just a moment as we stand in worship tonight. And let's just ask the Lord as we worship. We worship him. But we need our hearts prepared before the Lord. Father God, tonight as I come to this room tonight, there's a thousand thoughts that can run through my mind. And I can, I can make excuses and say, oh, this is a good thing to think about or this is okay to think about God. But I want to move all of it out of the way. And I want to ask you to help me so that I can enter your gates with thanksgiving, enter your courts with praise, worship you. And as I worship you tonight, as we worship you, we pray that you would prepare our hearts to receive instruction, to receive, Father God, the word, to receive correction. Whatever it is that you're going to put in our hearts tonight, Lord, we just want to prepare our hearts to receive it. God, forgive each one of us of anything that we may have said or done that might distract us from this moment. Let the Holy Spirit have a perfect liberty in this room. In Jesus' name.
just like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend I have lived in the goodness of God oh, All my life you have been All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God Your goodness is running after, it's running after your name tonight. God, we're so thankful for the opportunity to be in your presence, to be in your house. Father, we value this time. We value this place. God, we value the relationships, the fellowship. Knit our hearts together tonight. Father, knit the hearts of husbands and wives together. Knit the hearts of fellow believers together. God, let our marriages be strengthened. Let our our relationships be strengthened. Let our church be strengthened. Let the kingdom of God be strengthened tonight, Father. Let the kingdom of God be strengthened tonight. Father, we pray an anointing 
over this service, over Dr. Brassfield, over your word. Father, have your way. Prepare our hearts. Prepare our hearts. God, let seed be sown on, on good soil tonight. Lord, we'll receive. We'll receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. And you can be seated tonight real quickly. I'm going to take just one minute. If you have not received a book, I want you to slip your hand up, and I'm going to ask my main man, Robert. Come on, Robert. This is what you get for sitting this close to the front. Anybody got right there in the back or right there? And so they'll just keep going. And then I know Dr. Brassfield's got handouts here tonight, and we're going to go ahead and get those going as well. John, you're sitting up close to the front, too. You know, we got to put these, uh, these, uh, retired, these retired colonels to work, you know. <laughs> we revert back to Airman Basics, Brother John, when he go in the ministry. So, so. No, no, we'll move on from there. Um, one per, I believe, Dr. Brassfield's got one per. Yeah, I think there'll be plenty. The one thing I want to say as Dr. Brassfield comes, I'll remind you that Dr. Brassfield is going to be teaching the opening lesson, which, um, as you know, if you, if you studied your book, God's Purpose for Marriage, he's also going to be teaching on the fourth week the fourth week, good communication. The last thing, if I can have you look this way just for one real quick moment. I know we got lots of people passing out stuff real quick. The one thing I want to tell you as we go into the lesson is that when we come to this, the, 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 the lesson that you've already had, we're not necessarily trying to do a review. We're not trying to go back over. It's more of an extension or it's more whatever the Lord lays on our heart in that same vein of thought. So, the work is, is going to be digging it out on your own, taking that, the scriptures, looking up the verses, looking up the things in the, in the handout, and then meditating on it and letting your, your heart be prepared so that when you come together on that Wednesday night, then the Lord will just add to what you've already studied. So I'm so grateful that Dr. Brassfield was able to be with us. He and his family tonight, and, and I'm going to get out of his way. He's going to take liberty. He's going to lead the service entirely as he feels led of the Lord, including concluding this, including to conclude the service as he feels led of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Thank Amen. you, Pastor. I'm good. I'm good. Good evening, everyone. <clears throat> Amen. It's what a joy it is to be here on a beautiful, bright, and warm Wednesday night someplace. Amen. So glad you're here tonight. Thank you for coming. Uh, thank you for... I just feel the presence of the Lord here, right? Isn't that nice? Amen. I, I just want to take a moment before we get into our lesson tonight. If you're here and you're struggling in your body, uh, there's a lot of bugs going around, a lot of flu and things like that. If you're here and you're having uh, difficulty in your body, would you just stand? Just stand up right where you are. Amen. Anybody else? It's like feel like... Sometimes we catch a bug, and we, in the spirit, we'll just uncatch that thing. Amen. Just uncatch that bug. Amen. So we're just going to take a moment, and uh, I love that song. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. Every breath that I am able, I will sing. Sing that again. Let's just sing and just reach to the Lord. Healing of His mm, All my life you have been faithful. Every single time. 
All my life you have been so, so good. And every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Now that bridge goes, His goodness is running after me. Sing it. His goodness is running after, it's running after me. Receive the healing of the Lord. His goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my heart laid down, I surrender. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Now we pray this prayer. Lord, let the goodness of your power and the healing virtue of your blood be released, Lord, to drive out every bug and every spirit of influenza, God, whatever the case may be, stomach bugs. We call all those names in the name of the Lord and demand that you go in Jesus' name. There is a name above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. So we declare healing and wholeness right now in Jesus' mighty name over everyone who's struggling in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Will somebody say amen? Amen. Amen. You can be seated. God bless you. Uh, We're delighted to be with you. Sorry we missed this last weekend. We were in Florida. And I was thinking about uh, Pastor Joe and Ann. We weren't here uh, to be able to be part of that service. We were dodging tornadoes in, uh, in Florida. But uh, I heard a good young preacher preach a word that I know you guys had a whole lot of deposit and investment in his life. And I looked around the room and hundreds there. And I thought about you guys in that, that baton passing ceremony. So I wanted to just take a moment uh, tonight and thank you. Uh, not for in any official capacity, but as a dad who's got uh, children serving the Lord today that you guys invested in. Amen. Let's give them another hand. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Well, uh, so we're on uh, perhaps the most popular topic in the history of mankind is marriage. Uh, everybody draws up and thinks, oh, no, what's going to happen? Uh, my secrets are going to be unveiled or they're going to be something that's, that's pointed out that, uh, that is corrective in nature. How many are enjoying the strength, Strengthening Your Marriage book? Amen. It's a really good outline. It's a good study guide. And, uh, and I'm going to be kind of kicking off uh, from this first chapter, generally dealing with the theme of the chapter, but not working directly out of the chapter. As Pastor said, and he gave us permission to do that. So I've uh, prepared a handout for you, and I've entitled my session as the verse leads out in chapter one for this cause. For this cause. Now, over the years, historically, we always teach students that if you look at the scripture and the scripture says therefore, then you always want to look back to see what it's there for, right? So as I was thinking about this passage, uh, I want to kind of break this session into a couple of parts tonight, and uh, I I like to do that. I like to start with the scriptural foundation, and that's what we're going to do, but we're not going to spend a great deal of time in scripture tonight other than the foundation. So I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter number 2, because we do get a clear, simple definition of the cause for which God established marriage, and that's kind of our topic. It's what we're talking about. And I'm going to point out some things for you in maybe, uh, say, an 8-10 minute Bible study. 
And then I want to transition, and from those basic ideas, I want to give you six P's of God's purpose for marriage. Six P's. And why am I giving you six P's? Because I couldn't think of seven. I could think of six. And so I think that's going to help you. But I want you to understand that we're talking about this tonight generally from God's perspective. So this message is not bent in the direction of what you ought to do or what you're not doing. This is more bent in the direction of God's intention for the establishment of the institution of marriage to begin with. And so that's kind of going to let some of you off the hook because we're going to kind of focus on God's idea. Not to say there are not a few coaching uh, kind of suggestions that I, I embed in the text. And as I often do, I'm going to try to let the text lead us. So I'm not going to try to, uh, because it's Wednesday night. I know that you all have had a busy day. I have as well. And I got in late last night in a busy day of meetings today at the office. But, uh, but it's a joy to be here. And I, and I think God has something for us here that we can glean from that. You know, when we're talking about marriage in general, I guess uh, from a secular standpoint, uh, to these days, marriage has kind of become the odd thing, not the norm. Uh, it's become the thing that's ridiculed, the things that uh, jokes are made of. And I guess we've all been through some funny stuff in marriage. And I heard somebody say from a secular sense that uh, marriage is kind of like a deck of cards. It begins with two hearts and a diamond and ends with two clubs and a spade. <laughs> And so uh, I'm going to try not to throw a lot of those wonk, wonk, wonk jokes in uh, throughout the night. But, uh, but yeah, that's a pretty good joke. Actually, <laughs> actually, I asked my computer, I said, I need five clean biblical jokes for marriage. And that was one of them. And I thought, wow, I may try that again. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. Um, I have to, <laughs> I remember early in my ministry, I was, preparing to marry someone, and you, you know, you talk about the birds and the, the bees and, and those kinds of things. We'll touch, we'll skim on that a little bit tonight, but I was explaining to a couple that were about to get married that when two come together, they become one flesh, that that's God's intent, is for them to become one, and the guy looks across the desk and says, which one? <laughs> and I thought, okay, you probably need more counseling than I have time to give you. But the truth is, that's kind of the question that we all battle through in the early days of our marriage. Right. Right. We know that we're supposed to be one. The question is, which one? And so when one or the other becomes dominant and kind of takes the lead and becomes the, uh, the voice, the mouthpiece of the family, weird things can happen. I, I heard the story told about an O'Fell and his wife. They'd been married for 50 years, and, and uh, they were across a, the room at a dinner party. And uh, how many know after you've been married for a while, you can start reading lips yeah. or sometimes looks. Right. Sometimes you don't have to have the whole sentence or a paragraph even. All you got to do is just have a, a look. And she looked across the room and lipped to him. It was wintertime. She said, get your coat. He said, what? She said, get your coat. And he looked back at her and he said, are we beating? Okay, all right, so enough of the jokes about marriage. Uh, it, it's, it, while it is a subject we laugh about, sometimes it's not too funny. And, uh, and so hopefully tonight we're going to take a biblical look at what God intended 
when marriage began at the beginning. Okay, so we're going to go back to Genesis. It was the first passage of Scripture that was referenced in your book. And let's look at what the Scripture says, beginning in Genesis chapter number 2. And I want to read a, a few verses, but I'm not going to... I want to kind of go back a little bit, and I want to start about verse number... Uh, I've used a study Bible today, so I'm back into my speaking Bible. Verse 15. Then the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. I want you, as your, as your, if you have a highlighter and in your, uh, in your notes that we, we've handed out, there's a bit different than mine, but there's an each section has an engaged section. Now that's for you. Uh, the engagement section is designed for you to sketch an idea out or a thought that you have, a, a biblical verse that I failed to mention or that you think goes well with that. And hopefully, since we have nothing but perfect marriages in the room tonight. Uh, hopefully, this will be helpful for you when you're counseling other people about their marriage. And so, uh, that's for you to engage. For those who might want to have a conversation later with your spouse, well, it's a good place to write a few ideas and thoughts. Let me just encourage you to never use biblical teaching or never use what you hear as a weapon to accomplish or to prove a point in, in your life. Hopefully, by the time we get through, you'll see that that's not a good idea anyway. But let's look here. I want you to notice in verse 15 that before God made woman, he gave Adam an assignment. He gave him a purpose. Man, as he was magnificently created, and it's amazing when you look and if you studied the science, uh, physiology, whatever... Whatever area of science that you look at, the neurological development, the, the various developments of the body, it is absolutely amazing the machine that God built out of dirt and then filled it with his presence and that divine spark. It's amazing what God did. But at this point, when we're reading the scripture, there is not a woman yet, but God already gave man a task, tend and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, but you, you know that story. I'll delete that for the sake. It's not my point. Verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good for man that he should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. God looked at man in his task and in his purpose and said he needs help in that purpose. It's not good for man to try to do this job I have given him alone. It's very important when we see that. It's not good for man to be alone. And then as we go a little deeper in, out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. Now still building on this idea that it's not good for man to be alone. I don't think God had to survey his creation to discover that. I think God was allowing Adam to look at all that he had created and make his own conclusion. There's nothing here suitable to be a helper and a companion for me. It probably didn't take long when the skunk passed. That won't work. No, that's not good. The giraffe, no, that's not suitable. God led through all the animal kingdom. I don't know how long it took. I don't know what all was involved, but apparently it was a significant amount of time. And Adam and God came to this conclusion that there was nothing appropriate that would accomplish God's purpose along with man. So here's what he did. Notice the next thing that he did. 
Verse 21, and the Lord caused, Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. God performed surgery. Because where was woman? Woman was in the man. You think, well, that's kind of strange to say it that way, but the, the text is very clear about this. That the woman that God created started in the man that he had made. God put them both together, you might say. And don't get weird. I'm not suggesting anything weird. But I'm suggesting that the essence of who Eve became was in Adam to begin with. Now, the brilliance of God was that he was going to extract that intimate nature of woman out of man. And in doing so, would create an attraction that would cause man and woman to be attracted to each other and desire to come back into union and be one flesh again. Then God embedded the only portal for the spirit to be created in that one channel through intimacy with a man and a woman. It was his intent that the divine spark, that that humanity, that that human part of Adam before the fall that was exactly in the image and likeness of God, that that would be handed down from parent to child to parent to child to parent to child. And to this day, the only way that, as best we know, a spirit comes into existence is when a man and woman come together and a child is conceived. Are you all in the room? I'm just laying a little foundation, okay? All right, so... That's the basic thing that we're seeing. God put Adam to sleep, withdrew Eve from him. Let's look at how it's said. In this sleep, he took from the rib and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from him, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, notice how he defined and the distinction that he made between all of the other animals that he had seen in this parade that God had brought before him. Notice what Adam says. Now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. That sets our passage up that is kind of the keynote passage of the text that you're reading right now in chapter 2. For this cause, he says then, this is Adam's determination. Adam, by revelation or whatever, was already putting the dots together and connecting the dots in what he had seen in creation. And then when God brought Eve to him, who wasn't named yet, but when God brought the woman to him, Adam knew some way or other, maybe God told him, maybe he just sensed it, wow, she's me. She's my kind. She's my kind. I have to assume that Eve had that same feeling When she looked at Adam and thought, I am from him, we are the same. He's my kind. She's my kind. He's my kind. Somebody say my kind. Okay. So, this is what the biblical narrative teaches us and shows us. And it's in that context of unity and union. It's in that context of intended unity and union that Adam makes this fateful statement that would be stated in the Old Testament and then would be stated again in the New Testament by Jesus himself in two places. And then the Apostle Paul, when he's referencing, now listen, he's referencing the church and the Lord's relationship. And he does it in the context 
of a marriage between a man and woman and then uses this passage again in that context. So we can assume and apply that idea to the Lord Jesus and the church that he founded is that we are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh because we were taken out of him and now we have this passionate worship. Why do we desire to worship the Lord? Why do we call on his name? Why is there that instinctive once your spirit is born again? And, and, you, and you, you're, the scripture says you're joined with him. You become one spirit. What is the longing of worship? What is the, the longing of adoration? It's that same type of attraction that a man and a woman have for each other that Christ has for his church. Amen. So in your notes, I've kind of covered most of those things. Man was given an assignment, a domain of responsibility. God said it's not good for man to be alone. There was no suitable mate for man. Women, a woman was created from inside of man. In verse, uh, and the fifth point there is marriage is established between a man and a woman to rejoin them in their original union, except with a capacity. Now together they can do something that Adam could not have done on his own. That's the brilliance of God. Is by separating them, instead of just going out and creating another human and bringing them, that, that human, to Adam, instead of doing that, by extracting Eve from Adam, God was establishing a, a principle of attraction that would stand through all of history, at least until this world is passed. Can I get an amen? And it is a story or an illustration of God's heart for oneness with the church that he birthed through his blood. So, there's a couple things I want to just point out in the margins you might write. Uh, when the scripture says, and they shall become one, this is not a common word. But it is a word that's used in the scripture a few other times. One of them, for example, is the case in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema, where Israel would quote the famous passage, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your one, the Lord is one. For uh, that, that oneness there is the same word used of a man and woman, oneness. You think about God being one and yet three. God, the mystery of the Godhead that none of us can fully define Listen, if somebody tells you they can fully define everything and all the ramifications of the Godhead, don't buy anything from them. Because you get to a point that the only appropriate step is worship. How can there be three in function and three in personality, but yet one so tightly that they are inseparable? This is the mystery of the Godhead, but this is also the illustration of the marriage union between a man and woman. The idea that when they come together, they become so much one that they don't lose their identity. They don't lose their individuality. Each one brings gifts and purposes, and each one has functional dynamics that they bring to the relationship. But they are so one that they are in inseparable. They cannot be Separated. This is the basic idea. And that's why the word here in the Hebrew is used there and as it relates to God and God's oneness as well. There is, so there is a mystery in a marriage. How many have gotten, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many have been married? You don't have to be married very long to know that there's a lot of mystery up in that stuff, right? It's like, okay. Uh, head scratching stuff happens. But we see that, uh, that part of the idea is that they will be joined. And the one, some translations use the word, for a man shall be joined to his wife. Now, let's just 
get to the ch- cut to the chase, this is a sexual illusion. It's a euphemism for sexual intercourse or sexual relationship. So it, it has a much deeper meaning and a broader meaning, but this is the context of the verse. Is that by coming one, there is, and I'll say it this way, there is a cutting of the covenant. There is a covenant that is established in the mind of God and through the couple together that says God has designed us to be one and be one for life. That's God's intent. Now listen, if you've been through a divorce, don't think for a moment. There's no stones being thrown here. And thank God for his forgiveness for all of us. Can I get an amen for that? So that's not the point of what I'm saying. We're talking about the purpose of God in marriage. And God's purpose is that we join so tightly that you can't separate us. You can't tell who's who. You know, it's like the stew that my mom used to make. It all... It tastes so good, but you can't tell what's what because it's been simmering together for so long. That's how God wants your marriage to be. I need a good amen right there, right? Till it tastes good and you can't tell what's what exactly because it's been simmering so long together. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. And I think the author does a good job in the book of kind of identifying some of the traps and some of the things that happen in the process of new families being born and how it requires a high level of respect by all parties. It has a respect by the spouse who's being married into the family for the in-laws and also a high degree of respect from the in-laws toward the spouse that's been brought into this new family. Can I get an amen? And I know there's never been a problem over anything like that, right? Well, good. Good, we don't have to deal with that. So, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined, as I just mentioned, to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, let's, let's get on with the idea of these six Ps that I find in marriage that are God's intent. The purposes of God. What, what is the function of marriage? And I'm just going to kind of throw them out and read the paragraph. If I, if I, may, I may comment, I may not. The first P that I think is probably, even anthropologists would suggest this to you at the university level, that one of the fundamental reasons a family starts is for protection. Protection. And how I would correlate that for us tonight in this session is the first expression of the government of God on earth is when a man and woman come together and and join themselves in holy matrimony. It's the first expression of God's divine government as as there's an establishment of a family. Long before there is a United States of America or a United Kingdom or any other nation on the planet, long before tribes developed, the atomic level, the lowest level, the lowest level of common denomination for any of those civil organizations is a man and a woman. It was God's idea. God designed Adam and Eve to be the first expression of his kingdom government in the earth. And on a sidebar, let me just throw in, to destroy the definition of marriage is to attack the very foundation of kingdom, the kingdom of God on earth. 
This is more than a preference. Uh, This is more than just a live and let live type of concept. And thank God we're an American. People can do what they want. And I I believe in freedom of choice and uh, in the sense of, I shouldn't use that phrase. I believe in people's right to choose what they want to do in terms of of that. That's not what I'm saying, that we should be out uh, doing anything militant. But I'm just giving you God's perspective, all right? And the world is at odds with the definition of marriage for a reason. And the reason is not just out of hatred for men or hatred for women. It's out of hatred for God. That's right. Yep, that's right. Why? Because the husband and wife union, the family, is the first expression of God's kingdom government in the earth. Marriage provides protection. So let's get back to that idea, the protection that marriage provides. Marriage was to protect the sexual union in a sort of holy tabernacle of covenant relationship. One of the principal purposes for God bringing man and woman together and calling it a family was to protect the sexual union from predators and from outside influences and ungodly satanic influences. Can I get an amen? It's part, it's, it, your sexual relationship as a couple is a protection ordained by God to protect and preserve the family. I, I need a better amen than that because that is the truth. I thought I'd at least get a good man amen out of that. <laughs> Marriage protects the family and it protects the sexual union that God intended to be embedded in every marital relationship. Number two, marriage was to protect the woman and the children from being uh, attacked or abused as well. The family, in other words, how? Does it, by setting them apart from all other peoples as the responsibility of the man. Now, I hope some of this stuff I'm going to say might sound a bit chauvinistic, I, but I'm not going to allow myself to be drug into some sort of courtroom of the world. I'm just staying in the Scripture, amen? I'm going to stay in what God intended The man and the woman have legitimate roles. Neither one of them are diminished in their personhood by God's purpose. But we're talking about marriage now. We're not talking about gender, just male and female. We're talking about what God had in mind when he caused a man and a woman to come together and become a family. And I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I say God's got the best plan because he's the one that created it. And when you want to know how something's supposed to operate, the best idea is go to the one who created it. Don't do it like I put stuff together from Ikea. There's a set of instructions in there for a reason. I just think it's to, <laughs> to start the fire with the box after you get through putting it together. <laughs> so marriage was to protect that, that special union in the physical relationship between the husband and wife. And it was to protect the woman and subsequent children, setting them apart from all other people as the responsibility of the man. You're going to hear me reference in the next few of these. I'll, I'll mention responsibility a lot. Because here's what I've, I'm working with leaders now for 30 years. I've come to understand, I say it a lot, you've heard me say it before, that authority in the kingdom is not power, it's responsibility. In a marriage, when couples are bearing their responsibility, you just very seldom hear arguments about who's going to be in control when people are shouldering their responsibility. And so one of the clues to a happy marriage is to identify what your responsibilities are and then shoulder your responsibilities. It causes dysfunction when we carry the responsibilities of the other. 
They need to shoulder their responsibilities. But by the same token, you need to carry the responsibilities that God has given you. Everybody say with me, responsibility. So don't think it's a dirty word as we begin to venture through this. Uh, I'll talk about it a little more. Um, Marriage was to protect the woman and children. Another way that, that I've mentioned in the notes here is when the family carries the name of the, of the patriarch of the family, that's suggesting responsibility. You think about it. Even our culture is designed that way. Typically, the spouse, will, the wife, will doesn't always happen, doesn't have to happen, but typically the wife will take the surname of the husband. This goes back to ancient times where the responsibility for caring, protecting, and, and looking after the provision, we'll get into those things for the family, rests largely on the man. And then through his family, the family name became the mark of protection and identity for the children. They weren't just Tommy or they weren't just Philip. They were Philip Brassfield. And that name was intended to carry a certain level of respect and a certain level of understanding that the, the tribal community. Are y'all in the room with me? Amen. So this all originated from God. So all the family carrying the name of the responsibility of the or the responsibility of the patriarch of the family until the new family is born. Now, when kids grow up and leave and they form a new family, well, that's where the responsibility changes. There's a resp- there's a shift in responsibility when and when that doesn't happen, it can create dysfunction and problems. As well. Amen. Amen. So it takes a lot of wisdom and a lot of understanding. And and mostly that could be boiled down, ladies and gentlemen, to respect. Having a high degree of respect for God's intent and God's purpose. And also the individuality of those in part of the family. You may have been used to... Man, I like, you know, Drew said something while we were down there with the boys. He, he always uses me. I'm kind of like the hammer. It's like, don't say that to my grandchildren, man. <laughs> you know. I'll tell you one thing. My dad, you know, it's like, and the kids look at me and like, like I'm, I'm the hammer. And, and it's, yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's a place where I had to set him down and say, the children are not my responsibility now. They're your responsibility. Okay, amen. <laughs> Can I get an amen? But how many of us dysfunctionally try to continue that responsibility beyond the appropriate boundaries and create friction and conflict in the home by not respecting the role? Are y'all tracking with me tonight? But yet that doesn't deny that the patriarch carries the familiar responsibility of the name and the identity and, and, and what have you. So everybody say with me protection. protection. So marriage in God's mind was to create a protection for this new family. Number two, partnership. Partnership. Ecclesiastes reminds us that two are better than one. And the book of Deuteronomy 32.30 suggests that one can put a thousand to flight. Two can chase ten thousand. This underscores the power of partnership. A united husband and wife are a formidable team. A team can produce more. Great partnerships are based on a few things here. And it would serve you well to highlight them or underline them because they're a simple list. But boy, they carry a big punch. Great teams are based on mutual respect. Mutual respect. They're based on 
cooperation. Now, I'll tell you the difference between the second, the third one is collaboration. But let me tell you the difference between cooperation and collaboration. There are moments where cooperation means I'm going to get out of the way and let you lead. I'm cooperating with you. I'm not working against you. You have a good idea here. I don't know how to do it. You're better at it than me. Kath handles our finance. She's, she's a very detailed, she has an acumen for it, it's, and she's very good at it. It would be foolish for me in my role as a husband to say, bless God, i got to sign all the checks. And It's foolishness, right? I, there's a time where I cooperate by stepping out of the way and letting her do what she does so well. That's cooperation. But then you mature from just cooperation to collaboration. And this is where I'm not taking a step back. I'm stepping up in a collaborative conversation where we're making the decision together. You see, a husband and wife doesn't have to think alike. They need to think together. They don't have to think alike. They need to think together. And then appreciate the differences of understanding that's brought to the table and the differences of perspective. Can I get a good amen from that? I'm having to ask for amens, but I ain't too shameful to do that. I'll do that. Partnership is part of God's intent in marriage. Protection was perhaps the, the fundamental idea of God, but quickly it moved toward partnership. Adam needed a partner to tend and to guard and to do the guard. The task that God had given Adam needed four hands, not two. It needed two heads, not one. It needed two hearts, not one. It needed two voices, not one. There was a partnership needed, and God in his wisdom created and designed that. We've all heard people say there's no I in team, right? And I will tell you that selfishness is a very destructive behavior in the family unit. Look at your neighbor and say, why don't you get over yourself? <laughs> you, know, it, you know how that would, listen, a lot of people would pay $1,000 in counseling if you just go do what I just told you to do. You could save 1000 bucks in therapy just by getting over yourself. Humble, a good dose of humility. Humility is one of the antidotes for the corrosion of selfishness. And if you will humble yourself and say, wait a minute, let me step back before I have to win the argument or before I have to be right. Let me step back and hear what you've got to say. Let me, instead of running my mouth, let me listen for a minute. Because you might actually bring something to the table that could help solve this problem. But it's hard to do that if, if you're only concerned with winning the debate instead of creating a solution for the problem. Amen. Amen. So hush and step back and get over yourself and humble yourself and listen. And then if there's still a debate to be had or a disagreement to be had, take it to the prayer altar. Before you spend all night trying to make sure you know or that she knows you were right, or he knows that you were right. Before you do that, if you're still at an impasse, take it to the prayer altar and just decide we're going to pray here until it's all fixed. Started at about 1030. 
and you'll probably wake up in the morning without a major problem. Okay. All right. So partner, everybody say partnership. The third thing is provision, is provision. Now, again, for this cause shall a man leave his mother and father, cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one. I'm talking about the reasons God had for doing it. Protection, partnership, the ability to produce more, the ability to accomplish tasks at a higher rate in a more efficient, effective manner. Ultimately, the gifts of a man and the gifts of a mom, woman, were needed to nurture the children. Both are needed. Both are needed. That's why four hands, two heads, two hearts, God knew that in his wisdom. Partnership. Not in the, just the, the, the media, uh, menial task of the day, but also in the big task of rearing children and, and raising a family. Provision in marriage. Uh, in both in marriage, both spouses are called, and I, I highlighted some words here because I didn't want you to miss them. In marriage, both spouses are called upon to generously meet the needs of the other. Somebody say generously. How many, how many know how God loves a giver? What kind of giver does God love? It's not a giver that says, Ah, oh, they're passing the plate again. I'm so That's all they want is money. And that's not the kind of giver that God loves. A generous, generous giver says, Man, I can't wait for the altar. I came prepared. My check's made out. I can't wait to give. That, that's the kind of giver. We, we referenced that talking about being made for more. A week or so ago. Well, I think that same idea can be applied to meeting the needs of our spouse. No one wants to have breakfast fixed for them by somebody who's cursing them under their breath because they have to fix the eggs and the bacon. Or, and in our home, I do that. So that's not a suggestion that that's a female job. I actually do that, and uh, and fix coffee. I do. Pre- I don't drink coffee, but I fix a pretty good cup of coffee as well. You know. Not bragging, just saying. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah, provision. And, and and I wouldn't, Kath, when I take that coffee to her while she's still in bed, uh, <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be nearly as much fun if I said, here's your coffee, yo. No. I might not live beyond that day. That might be my last day on earth. No, no I mean, y'all don't even believe that's true. But it's the attitude. It's the you understand what I'm saying. It's the and you say this is not rocket science. No, it's not. But the truth is, the thing that fixes most marriage is not the complex things. It's doing the little things consistently over time that pays the biggest dividends. And God knew that. It's like okay, this is my idea. Protect your family. Uh, both of you have to work together as a partnership. You can't always be pulling against each other. You can't always be at odds. You can't always be at disagreements. Disagreements are corrosive to relationships. It will create an air of dysfunction in the home if somebody's always mad. Can't do it. It's not good. God didn't intend for that to be the case. And then provision, where both parties generously meet the needs of the other. And here's that responsibility word again. It's where there is, this suggests a responsibility to three things. Number one, be aware. I didn't even know you wanted that. I didn't even know you needed that. A a lot of us go through life so focused on us and what we're doing that we have very little room to be even in the know as to what the family needs. Uh, Amen, Brother Brassfield. Yes, amen. It starts with awareness. Awareness. 
It starts, turn ESPN off. Have a conversation with your wife. Or vice versa. You'll think twice about asking me to do this again. Amen. Get, get your head out of your own world and get into the world of your spouse and generously realize it's your responsibility to know what she needs. Be aware. Or what he needs. Be aware. It's your responsibility. Be aware to care. Because <laughs> then there's that other dimension, right, where, oh, you know so well what I need. You just don't care. Amen. And then to convey provision on each other and in the family unit. Uh, I use, and I ask permission, I, I use my wife, Kathy. She's my responsibility. You understand? It's my responsibility. That's right. That's good. I don't want anybody shouldering my responsibility. Right. It's my responsibility. I've taken, when we married, part of the oneness that we brought into that relationship is I willingly said I will take responsibility for you. Her physical needs, her emotional needs, her sexual needs, all those things are my responsibility. And inverse is true as well. Mine are her responsibility. Amen. When you take responsibility for the emotional needs and the sexual needs and the physical needs, it opens a conduit of relationship and communication and intimacy, closeness. I'm not just talking about sexual. I'm talking about closeness that nothing in the world can provide you. Money can't do it. Houses can't do it. Cars can't do it. Prestige can't do it. And it starts with simply saying, I'll take responsibility for you. It's my responsibility to know, prepare, and act to meet those needs. And in turn, it's her responsibility. Marriages are wrecked when we allow other people or other things to become responsible to meet the needs of our spouse. I don't want anybody else being responsible for her. That's me. And she don't want anybody, any other woman... Being taking the responsibility of my needs. That's her responsibility. Amen. This was God's intent. Well, you know, it's interesting because we can say, well, <laughs> if she'd do exactly what I thought she ought to, you know, we start all these qualifiers. Or if he hadn't hurt my feelings, you understand, all that I'm discussing, even the plan and purpose of God, is. Built on the hinge of forgiveness, accountability, forgiveness. But just because that hinges, that swings on the hinge of forgiveness doesn't mean it's not still the essential plan of God in His purpose for relationship. How many of you now, with that context, you don't want anybody being responsible for your spouse but you? Anybody in the room? It's like, that's my responsibility. All right, all right. If she needs a long walk along the, if we need to drive the golf cart down to the lake and a long walk on the shore, that's my responsibility. You see what I'm saying? If I shirk that responsibility long enough, 
She may find somebody else to drive her to the lake. Am I too, being too plain? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Okay. Provision. All right, provision. So we have protection, we have partnership, and we have provision. And then for passion. Passion. This was one of God's intent. I'm talking about God's perspective now. Protection, partnership, provision, passion. A successful marriage requires falling in love many times. A successful, I want to say that again, because some of you might say, okay, legitimately, we've fallen out of love with each other. Well, I want to tell you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, you can fall back in love with each other, and a good marriage requires you do it many times through the years. You just got to make up your mind that you want to be the kind of person that he or she would want to fall in love with. It's like, okay, 25 years ago, I was, but where am I at today? You always want to strive to be someone your spouse would want to fall in love with. Turn this passion, uh, turn up the passion in your relationship. And here's, I, I fill these paragraphs with lists by attention, kindness, communication. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Compassion, respect, consistency. Make your spouse the focus of your attention, and if you do, they'll become the object of your affection. Make your spouse the focus of your attention, and over time, they will become the object of your affection. If you've ever wondered, uh, or have you ever wondered why God created the attractional passion, I mentioned that in the, the kind of the opening monologue uh, that happened naturally between a man and woman, it, it's designed to reflect the intense love and passion God has for his children. Our romantic passion is an illustrated message of God's love for his people. And he wants you to experience it to its fullness. Amen. All right, we're moving down the home stretch. Some of you under your breath can think, oh my gosh, I'm two more and it's over. <laughs> Number five, the fifth reason I think God created marriage was for peace. This is one of the reasons the enemy is so adamant about creating conflict and chaos. It is the antithesis of what God intended marriage to produce. God intended your marriage to be a peaceful shallow, an oasis of refreshment and restoration. That's God's intent. And you think, well, man, that's not my home. Well, there's work to be done. And I want to suggest there's work to be done in all of our homes, in all of our families. Nobody here has got this all figured. Just because I'm at the lectern doesn't mean I got it all figured out. You can ask Kath about that, and she probably wouldn't tell you, but she could. Uh, that there's a lot of work yet to be done. We're all working on That's this. But the point is, is don't think, well, we've got obstacles, we've got baggage, we've got issues, so I'm not going to work. Some of this is so fundamental that you don't have to figure everything out. Just start doing a few of these fundamental things. Be the protector and defender of your family and your children. Be the, be the one that's, that's, that's committed to providing in, 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 in whatever way, whether male or female role, whatever that is, be that one that's, 
committed to that. Find a place of partnership where you're working together and, and then make sure that passion is not deleted from your relationship. It doesn't matter how long you've been married, how young or old you are. I, I've listened over the years working with leaders. I've seen some in their 20s that had completely lost interest in each other and passion and intimacy in their relationship was gone. This is not an aging thing. This is a relationship thing. Because it's just not about the act of sexual intercourse. It's about the heart of intimacy that burns with passion and desire for the one that God put in your life. And then peace. So peace, the security that comes from peace cannot be overstated. And for most women, security feels like love. Just just a sidebar, quick note. Many of you have heard people say it. You probably heard counselors say it. Maybe somebody on TV say it. That security to a woman, love feels like security to a woman, and respect feels like love to a man. If you want to show your husband tremendous love, show a respectful heart. Be careful how you speak to your husband. Be careful how you talk about your husband. Man, I'm preaching good now, guys. <laughs> Be careful. Because two reasons. Number one, it matters to them. And number two, it matters to God. Because when you attack God-ordained authority, you are disrespecting the God that ordained it. Whether they're right or wrong. Doesn't mean you have to always do what they say. People can be wrong. I'm not saying that. There's a difference between surrender and respect. Respect. Men view respect as love. Men, when we create secure environments for our wives... They interpret that as love. Try it sometime. Make sure, hey, sit down with your wife if you happen to handle the bills and say, you know what, hon, it's the third week of the month. All the bills are paid. We got money left in the account. It's amazing how that is a salve. For the, can I get a lady's amen for the relationship? It's like when you're always struggling about that secret shotgun you bought. And that the money's gone, you don't want to say anything about it. Or that purse that you really shouldn't have bought. That you, you understand what I'm saying? All of these things are just fundamental things. If you'll follow this list of six, it will incredibly, in, a, in an incredible way, strengthen your relationship. As a couple journey through their life together, the bond of marriage is designed by God to pro provide peace as the years pass. Provide stability, security, and comfort for the couple. And then the last P, as, as we finish, is posterity. Posterity. This is permanence. You know, at that very inception verse, for this reason a man shall leave his, wife, his mother and his father and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become joined together and they will become one flesh. That idea suggests passion and permanence. Passion and permanence. You know, we're kind of in that zone, Kath and I now, where the children are gone, and it's back to Adam and Eve. Because that's where you wind up if you stay together. You start kind of like Adam and Eve. And at that point, it's this romantic <laughs> role-playing thing. We could be Adam and Eve tonight. <laughs> and then after 35, 40 years, guess what? It's like, we could be Adam and Eve tonight. <laughs> The Genesis family, the point is, is the Genesis, the Genesis model of the family remains. 
the aged become the anchors of the family till the children are established. Look at God's beautiful design. They become the foundation of legacy, stability, and, and supervise the peaceful transition of power from one generation to the next through traditions of the family that are handed down and, and wisdom that is acquired in years and years of experience. There is a role to play even for us in our 60s with our families. Yes, we're not fully responsible for them anymore, but there is a legacy of what we've deposited in them that is a role that we play today. The transition of power, inheritances are left, but they shouldn't be left to uneducated, unequipped. Somebody has to have the wisdom to help the younger ones understand how to handle whatever it is they're receiving. Can I get an amen? When you think about how God designed family, all of those things were in play. All of those things were a part. Traditions, family things that we do that goes on from generation to generation. And inheritance is more than money. Amen. Okay, I hope these six things have helped you tonight. Let me pray for you tonight. We're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to, to take these words and, and to, to seal them to our heart. You know, the Word of God and truths of the Scripture are like medicine for the soul. Not everyone in the room needs has the same issue that needs to be treated. But the Holy Spirit knows all of us and can apply what's taught in a way that it becomes medicine for what you need. Uh, maybe you need better communication. Maybe there's an area in this six, as, as I've listed it, that you think, man, I could have done a better job. I could, have, I could as, uh, aspire to do a better job in that area. Hopefully, as you've taken a few notes, maybe you can have a conversation over a mealtime or a time that you could talk through these and say, how can I do? But let me suggest this before I pray. Instead of saying what they need to do, say what you need to do. And instead of making statements, if you want to, ask a question. It's amazing how Kath is a master at that. I, I'm a D-style personality. I, I have that. She's a, I, I'm a, we may talk about this week after next. So I'm, I'm a DI in the DISC model, if you've ever seen that platform. I'm a, I'm a dominant style and an influencer. She is an SC. So she is steady and stable and, and uh, very detail-oriented, compliant, and correct. So she knows how to best handle me. Uh, I, I get the idea that sometimes, you know, I'm being played <laughs> a little bit. But she's so wise and kind that she'll ask a question because she knows I have a kind of a high integrity type metrics in my life and I want to do what's right. So she'll, if there's an issue, she won't fuss with me about it. She'll just say, well, what about this? And then she'll just be quiet. I don't mean she'll clam up and give me the silent treatment. She just knows she'll ask a question and then let me answer. And it's amazing how often I see her perspective in the answer I give her. And we'll talk in week after next about some of those things in the power of communication in a relationship. Because tonight's the foundation, but then we'll give you some equipping on how to have these conversations week after next. Okay, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for tonight, and we thank you for the opportunity to come. And Lord, we, we just speak this word over this beautiful congregation. God, I pray that you'll strengthen marriages and homes. Lord, as we're willing to take responsibility, Lord, we just are the first to admit we haven't done it all right. We haven't, we haven't acted in the right way every time. We haven't always used the right words or even thought the right th thoughts.
But Lord, we come in repentance tonight before you. And with our spouse, Lord, we make a commitment to find your path and to take these six basic, simple, not easy, but simple ideas and use them as tools to enhance our relationship and strengthen our marriage. That's what this series is all about. I pray for a special anointing, God, over everyone, every husband, every wife. Lord, where forgiveness is needed, let repentance be offered and then forgiveness granted. Forgiveness that doesn't hold an account. Lord, I pray that where there's needs for forgiveness in this room, in a marriage, I pray that we would forgive whoever has offended us like you have forgiven us. You don't constantly throw it in our face. You don't constantly remind us of how we failed or what we did wrong. You forgive and you forget. I pray, God, that anointing for marriages in this room tonight. That, that, Lord, that forgiveness would be strong in this room, God. And that there would be a commitment, Lord, to follow this pattern as you've laid it out. For this cause, a family was born. And realize that, God, when we take the name family and husband and wife, we are beholding to the government of God. And now we have become obligated to submit to your law. Now it's not my granddad or, or my dad or my great-grandfather or or no, no, that rules the ideas or the or or will I have a temper because my, my granddad had it. No, no, no. In in a holy matrimony environment, I have become a new creation. I do not have the exemption of defaulting to the carnal behaviors of my family as an excuse for my inappropriate actions. God, I have to bring them to you. Repent of them and ask for the Holy Spirit to help me to live to your purpose. I pray that, Lord, over everyone in this room tonight. Lord, don't let this just be a series of four weeks of study that we learn a few things and get a few ideas. Let it be transformative and transformational in our homes and families. Let the marriages here, Lord. God, I'm not just praying to finish the service. I'm praying, God, let the families and the marriages in this church demonstrate fruit, God, for generations to come. Pastors felt led to lead this church into this. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will do what only you can do in this divine partnership. In Jesus' great name, amen, amen, amen. God bless you.